Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson and Pastor Keith Radke of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Now, let's join Pastor Steve and Pastor Keith for today's conversation. This is Pastor Keith. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio. Pastor Steve Pearson and I are both pastors, and we have the privilege of preaching in our local churches. And on occasion, there are messages that are given that don't just resonate with our congregations, but they resonate within us as preachers. And we definitely sense that the Spirit of God was moving in a special way as that message was delivered. Today, we'd like to share with you the first part of a two-part message given by Pastor Steve Pearson from Romans chapter 7, called The Dead Scarecrow. So turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Romans chapter 7, and let's join Pastor Steve in this important message from God's Word. Romans chapter 7. Um, I've entitled this message this morning, The Dead Scarecrow. And when you hear that, you're probably like, what? Like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Um, when you think about a scarecrow. A scarecrow has a purpose, right? A scarecrow really serves as a decoy to keep birds away from the fields or to keep birds away from the food, to keep birds away from what they want. And the scarecrow's effectiveness does not come from the fact that it's alive. It doesn't come from the fact that it's scary. It comes from the ignorance of the bird because the bird doesn't know any better, right? But here's what ultimately happens. The bird finds out that it's fake, And when the bird finds out that it's fake and he finds out that it's not real, then the scarecrow's ineffective and the bird gets to go after what it wants, which at one time was kept away because of its fears. And the experience, you guys, that a lot of people have with Romans chapter 7 is very similar. People are afraid of the content. They're afraid of what exists in it. And because of this fear, people stay away from what God really wants people to know in this and 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 what they don't understand is that if you get what Romans 7 is saying it is a liberating concept and it's not going to seem like that at first because you're going to look at it and it's going to want to challenge you and take you to places you don't want to go and when I say people are afraid of its content listen I don't mean it's theology okay I don't mean it's theology but rather what the theology of Romans 7 is trying to do in your life that's what people are afraid of People don't like this idea that when they have a transaction with Scripture, that is you sit down and and you minister to God by prayer and God ministers to you through answered prayer and through being in the Word, people aren't familiar with or aren't comfortable with God invading the darkest parts of their heart. And so what happens is oftentimes people will sit and they'll learn theology and they'll be okay with theology, but when it comes to theology hitting the pavement, they're not okay with that, meaning that they don't really want God too deep into their heart. Because when you get into a person's heart, it gets scary. Would you guys agree? (laughs) You know yourselves. And so that's why when it comes to this chapter, people, listen, people will keep it shallow with God. They won't go super deep with him. And what happens is they end up falling into camp deception. And Jesus has talked a lot at camp deception in Revelation chapter 2 when he would say of a church 
you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. If God's word does not change us here and we don't allow the theology to do something other than give us knowledge, then we are here and we are miserable. Now, when it comes to this, people often think of theology like, well, you know, what, what really thought... Theology is just forms my beliefs. And then we kind of put it on a shelf, and it's really not practical. I mean, the, the Trinity isn't practical, right? It doesn't impact my life. When we talk about the nature of God, those are good things to, to, to know, but it doesn't really impact my life, really. Let me give you an example. We serve an immutable, unchanging, eternal God. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He speaks and universes leap into existence. Okay? When you start to sit and think about the nature of God, God goes like this in your mind, and you go like this. And what happens? You ultimately end up at some point hitting your knees and realizing how small you are before a powerful, holy God. Guys, we call that worship. I would say that theology does impact how we live and the decisions we make. Let's take it to the pavement. This last week, I was thinking about God's character, right? And, and some people would look at it and say, well, it's, 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 it's beliefs. It's, the, it's theology. It doesn't really impact you. As I'm thinking about God's justice and God's mercy, okay? I was going through a devotion, and I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Lord, I don't understand how you can marry those two. Because justice is you do something wrong and you get exactly what you deserve. Mercy is you do something wrong and you don't get what you deserve. So, God, how can you be both just and merciful? And I'm looking at situations in my life and I'm looking at situations around me. And I'm, God, you got you, you to you know, you be just here, but you got to be merciful here. And, and, and as I started thinking that, Revelation chapter 2, this was my devotion, when he was talking to the church of Thyatira, He says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her immorality, but she refused. So I threw her into a sickbed. I gave her time to repent, mercy, but she refused. So I threw her into a bed of suffering, justice. But here's what I mean by theology working its way out in your life. Then I sat down and I said to myself and said to the Lord, God, where have you been talking to me for years about things that I haven't repented of? And you're giving me mercy, but if I don't listen, you will cause suffering. See, if theology doesn't make it into your everyday life, what are you doing here? What are you doing as a Christian? Why are you reading the Bible? Folks, Romans chapter 7 has a liberating theology attached to it, but it's for the purpose of producing fruit in our lives. And listen, it goes beneath the surface. And I'm going to warn you as we get into this. The deeper you go into the truths of Romans 7, the scarier it will become. It will become extremely scary for you. And listen, this chapter will beat you down to the ground and leave you with no hope outside of Christ. None. He doesn't play in this. He goes right to the heart of what humanity's problem is and he makes a mockery of every human effort that would seek to stand before a holy God and justify itself by its actions and its merit. And if you think in this room or listening live feed that you are a good person, you want to put on your listening ears and listen to what the holy God of the universe has to say in chapter 7. He will change your mind. He will change your mind. But listen, 
as he changes your mind and allows it to bring everything into focus, he will set you up for a grace invasion in the very next chapter. He's not going to beat you down and leave you there. He's going to beat this down to show you what humanity is. Then he's going to give you a grace invasion in Romans chapter 8 because he's preparing you to swallow a horse pill in Romans chapter 9. And you've got to swallow it. So let's read it. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound, by, is bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way, of the written code. Verse 7. For then what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have known what for I would not have known what to, what covetousness is if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law Sin dies. I was once apart, alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, it deceived me, and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be known to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do, do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I, but it is sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So, I find then a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law that is waging war against the law of my mind, and it's making me captive. To the law of sin, 
that dwells inside of me. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You're listening to Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve Pearson and Keith Radke. At Shouts of Grace Radio, we're thankful for the encouragement from Key Radio, reaching Utah on the airways with good news of eternal life from their station in Provo, Utah. Key Radio can be found online at keyradio.org, and your support of Key Radio makes programs like Shouts of Grace Radio possible. Now, let's join Pastor Steve and Pastor Keith for the conclusion of today's conversation. Several years ago, about four years ago, I was going through a very difficult time. I was in a Colorado, and I've shared this with some of you. If you were here a couple months ago, um, I shared this with you. Some of you weren't, so, so bear with me. Um, I was in a Colorado um, hotel room, and God was doing a refining work inside my heart. And I had this vision. Now, I don't, now I'm not saying I get weird visions and I live just, you know, seven foot Jesus sat on the end of my bed and talked to me and told me to go. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but there's been a few times in my life where God has showed up and spoken very clearly, and this was one of them. And in this vision, I was out on a boat with some friends, and I was in the water and they were on the boat, and then when I looked up, I was about a foot beneath the surface and I could see, I could see them and I could see the light and the boat and everything. I remember looking down and it was dark and I kind of had this weird, scary feeling. When I looked back up, I was now about 60 feet under the water and it was colder, it was darker. What I couldn't see was the people's faces anymore and I looked down again and it was extremely dark. And as I looked back up afraid, ready to go back up, I was pulled down violently all the way to the bottom. And there I was on the bottom. It was freezing cold. It was dark. I was alone. And the most soothing, calmest voice said to me, I have shown you the depths of your heart. When you understand it, then you can go back up and you can join the rest of the people. I wasn't in any particular sin during that time. Nothing more than what all of us are in. Right? And so... What God was showing me was something that I think a lot of Christians don't realize. We play in the shallow end of a mental ascent and a verbal ascent to that we, are, that we are sinners. Everyone in here that knows Christ would say, I'm a sinner. And you would even proclaim that to me. Hey, brother, we're all messed up. We're all sinners. But listen, very few Christians go to the depths in the, in the deepest darkness of their heart to see what's really there. And they're afraid to go there. They're afraid to go there because what they will find they feel like it's going to be something that's crushing when in fact it is the most liberating thing because it fits right in to Romans chapter 7 here. Now I want to come back to this in a second, but I want to dock the ship in verses 14 through 25. And I want to spend most of our time there because the first portion of this we kind of talked about um, about a month ago when we used it as a cross-reference. And so you weren't, so those of you that weren't here, I'm just going to briefly go over it because what happens is in the first part of Romans chapter 7, he dumps the cargo into the last part. And so we have to understand what's taking place in the first part because the first part is him telling you why the byproduct in the second part is immense. It's, it's in super important to understand. Here's the, the gist of what he says in the first part of Romans 7. He says, listen, 
when the law was given, there was an expectation that it would give life. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, when Moses came down the mountain, and we talked about this, the people were excited. You can imagine, man, finally we're going to be led by God here. Finally we're going to get the commandments of God here. Yes. And what Paul is saying is, when the law came and Moses brought the law, what they thought would give them life killed them all. It was like a bomb went off and every human being died. Now, what's interesting is the Bible says that sin was in the world from Adam to Moses, but where there is no law, there was no account of it. What it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean they're innocent before the law. It means they can't name the wickedness that's in their heart. You don't know what covetousness is until the law comes and says this is covetousness. And what Paul says is when that happened, I had all kinds of covetousness in my heart. It's not, that, it's not that the law brought more sin. The law exposed everything that was already in the human heart. And so when Paul says, when the law came, I became utterly sinful, he didn't become sinful overnight. He was always sinful, and the law just showed him, you are hosed. Because this is what you are. This is your heart. This is the dark, deep part that people don't want to go to. They don't like playing around with who they really are before God. What ended up happening is he said, the law, the law, the, the, the commandment, he said, it, sin deceived me through the commandment because I thought it was supposed to be life-giving and all it did was kill me. And why is that important to understand? Because listen, you will spend your life, you will spend your life making one effort after another effort to make yourself right before God when God says, listen, it will never be based on your effort. Your effort died. You're dead in that. Now, there is a practical outworking of this. What's the result of this? And this is where he steps into every area of your life. He steps into your marriage. He steps into your finances. God steps into your relationships. He steps into your fears, your insecurities, your work ethic. God invades every part of with this section of Romans 7, and he beats the person down to tell them, if you don't have Christ, you have no hope. None. Zero. So let's look at what he says. And this is where we'll camp out. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions. For what I do... For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with a law that is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire, I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. In the 16th, century, Martin Luther was engaged in a fierce debate with a man that was considered to be one of the, 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 the greatest you know, theologians of the Northern Renaissance. And in that debate, the man Erasmus wrote something called the freedom of the will. And Martin Luther responded by writing something called the bondage of the will. These guys weren't buddies, let's just say that. Um, And Luther took an argument straight out of Romans chapter 7. I would like to read to you a small section of what he wrote. This might shake some of you, so just don't stone me. 
Okay, send your emails to, to, to Renee. Does it follow? Does it follow from the command to turn that you can turn? Does it follow from the command to love God with all your heart that you can love Him with all your heart? What do arguments of this kind prove? But the will of man does not need the grace of God, but can do all things by its own power. But it does not follow from this that man is converted by his own power, nor do the words say so. They simply say, if thou wilt turn, telling man what he should do. When he knows what to do and sees that he can't do it, he will ultimately ask, where might I find the ability to do it? Now, I recognize there's different views in this. And, and my, my heart here is not, and purpose here is not to stir up a hornet's nest. You know, we can, we can talk friendly about it. But Luther's argument here concurs with what Paul is saying. Listen, if the command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, does the command have the ability attached to it? Or is the command telling you what you should do? Let me ask you a question. Let me just, let's get right down to it. How many of you here that love Christ have the desire to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Raise your hand. Almost every one of you. Next question. How many of you that rose your hand that that have a desire to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How many of you have loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Raise your hand. For those of you that are watching online, there's not one hand up. You guys, listen, we have just agreed with what he is saying here in Romans chapter 7 that there is this massive disparity between my desire to do good and my ability to carry it out. And the problem with that, you guys, is the Apostle Paul is saying this is the reality of the Christian life and our life. He says in verse 15, I don't understand my actions. I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't understand why I don't do the things that I want. And I don't understand why I know what to do and I still do the things I hate. I don't understand that. The Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is telling you he doesn't understand why he does what he does. You're in good company. And what you see is this cycle of frustration that walks in step with the Christian life. Listen, and it leaves you with this inexcusable reality. You can't get away from it. That every single day of your life, you have a desire to do evil regardless of how good you know you should be. You're drawn to it. It's like, it's like a magnet. It sucks you right back into it. And you experience it everywhere. You experience it in your marriage. How many of you have been speaking with your spouse and, and something is said and, and God's spirit convicts you and says, now walk away. Don't say that. And you walk away because you want to do what's right. You get out the door and all of a sudden you say, you know what? He's not right about that. And I'm not going to be a doorman. I'm not going to walk out. So you know what? Forget that. And you walk back in with a kind, calm face. I would just like to say one thing about that thing you just said. And you say that one thing, and then they say, really? And they say that one thing, and ten things later, you're walking out of the room anyways, only now you're ticked off at each other. But then later, God comes to you, I told you to walk away. And I was going to walk away, Lord, but I was just drawn back in. You knew what to do that was right. Right? Kids, young people, teenagers, you've never disrespected your parents, right? 
ever. Where, where, where God, would, God would convict you about something. Maybe you were at a camp. Maybe you were in a devotion. Oh, yeah. And then you get into the situation and you find you're drawn to evil. And then you cry later. You scratch your head later. You say, God, why do I like evil so much? Thank you for listening to Shouts of Grace. Today's episode, you've heard the first part of a message given by Pastor Steve Pearson from Romans chapter 7 called The Dead Scarecrow. Join us next time for the continuation and the conclusion of this message. To hear the message in its entirety, you can visit rhutah.church and visit the sermons page. God bless you, and until next time, thank you for joining us on Shouts of Grace Radio.